Hey, welcome everyone. It's 2024. It's January 11th. I don't know if I can say Happy New Year. It might be beyond the Happy New Year. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the is, is it like there's the a threshold the half of the months. Yeah. I, so so uh, I'll just say Happy New Year because it's our first episode back. Uh, we're happy to return this year. Uh, we all had nice holidays. Well, at least Martin and I, I think, had nice holidays. Uh, <laughs> but, right. Yeah, right. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Did you have a nice yeah. holiday with the dogs? Please? Yeah, yeah, I did. Uh, you know, I uh, I bought my wife a really cool uh, Christmas slash holiday present. And um, uh, you'll never guess what it is. It's kind of cool. But uh, I, I don't want to. I, I don't want. No, no, no. It's not. It's not. Uh, it's not spicy. Or... Okay. Uh, actually, we're we're gonna do a falconry lesson. So Ooh. if you if you see a falcon flying overhead, uh, just know nice. I'm coming for you. Nice. So. I uh, that reminds <laughs> me. I just saw the uh, trailer for what the Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. I huh. I love Planet of the Apes. I I remember watching the original '60s movies when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. But in the trailer the they have a falcon that lands on one of the the chimpanzees arms so so but that's very cool doing yeah. uh falconry so yeah did you did you folks get anything or give anything that's uh exciting yeah no my wife and i went up to northern michigan for a long weekend uh like yeah. a friday to sunday so that's nice yeah yeah last weekend just to, to end the, the holiday season. Well, at least hers. She went, her and my daughter went back to school and work this last Monday. So they had like two weeks off. Okay. But, but no, no, I'm trying to think. It was a pretty, we tried not to uh, spend too much. All right, Martin, remember our, our listeners don't know. So you can lie. Just say like, you got a Bentley. You yeah. got, you know. A new estate. I finally got that that new Lamborghini. Oh, the Lamborghini! It's fantastic. Black, a black Lamborghini. Yeah. Oh man, so, it's like that. It's a gr- yeah. Oh, uh, stop. Let's talk about. <laughs> so, so you know what? Every year, I have I I try to do my geek resolutions, like developer career resolutions and mm-hmm. usually it's like three i actually have 10 this year because i'm going hog wild but that's out on a blog post maybe i'll put it in the uh, show notes but uh i usually do three resolutions so i always say like every year someone everyone should should learn or try to try to go deeper into certain subjects uh mm-hmm. and so for me i'm learning rust because, uh, you know, that, that's a cool language. I love C-sharp. I just keep hearing a lot of nice things and great things about Rust and how it can, like, do a lot of concurrency. I mean, concurrency is, like, built into the language, and and it takes care of a lot of uh, the issues with C++ 
and like garbage collecting and memory management and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So I'm doing that. I'm trying to be a better speaker. Not that I'm going to go speak probably more places. Uh, I actually think I'm going to kind of not speak as much this year at, at events, but mm-hmm. I'm trying to become a better speaker and not say ums and so's and like and all the stuff that you shouldn't say when you're on this kind of medium. But what first, why do you guys keep learning and what are you learning or what will you be learning in 2024? I think the, the why is a, is a really simple one to answer. Um, there's probably two answers. One, because you have to, because you're in a new job or because you're doing some new project where some new technology is being used and you have to dig in. Uh, the other option is probably because you like software, you like IT, you like everything that's going on and you just want to stay sharp and yeah, see what's out there and, and try it for yourself. So I'm currently um, in the first camp. Uh, I'm learning Java um, because I have to, because uh, part of my job is Java now. Um, I have been doing some Kotlin and JVM and so on, and it is very, very similar to C Sharp in a way. But still, um, there's some learning involved and getting getting up to speed with all the tools and, and all of that stuff. Yeah, Java's kind of a couple generations behind C Sharp, isn't it? from from a language from certain language constructs like it takes it takes a little longer for java to to get new new features in the language i i always thought that uh but it seems that they they now have i think two releases every year Um, one is an lts release one is an an intermediate release that uh, just introduces whatever is new at the time uh, so the language support and the language evolution is definitely going faster. Um, I also had the impression uh, a while back that uh, Java was evolving much slower than C Sharp and everything, but uh, it looks like they caught up. Um, it's still very, very similar in a way. Um, so for example, they also have the var keyword now like we have in C Sharp, and there was an equal type of uh, outrage like we had around uh, <laughs> 2 time frame, I think. Uh, so in a way, the, the communities are the same as well, or very similar good. at least. Cool, cool. Uh, and it's, I think it's always good to, to tip, dip your toes in another community just to see what that community is like and what what pains and frustrations they're having because we're probably all having around the same sort of frustrations but i'm sure some there's probably some uniqueness uh with uh pros and cons that uh each community probably brings yeah i mean i i guess i have a question for martin right like um you know, C Sharp and Java are both uh, C-based languages, ultimately. Like, mm-hmm. um, what kind of struggles have you had, like, with your C Sharp muscle memory going over to Java? Like, are there, are there like, things that are have been frustrating kind of, like, going to Java? Um, not that you're leaving .NET or C Sharp, but you're, yeah. you're, you're trying to expand your horizons, right? So... 
Yeah, so one of the reasons I'm digging into Java is because I'm also um, leading the Java advocacy team here at JetBrains now and uh, also trying to get up to speed with the language, writing the occasional blog post and so on. And because I thought it's a good way to learn the language, I'm also writing a series on some of the basics of the language. So I've been working on inheritance and polymorphism in the past week. And um, I think the languages are very, very alike. But there's a couple of subtle differences, for example, in access level modifiers. That's one that I remember from this week, where uh, in C Sharp, for example, you can declare a class as sealed, which means that you can no longer inherit from it. You can do the same thing in Java with the final keywords, but they also have a sealed keyword, um, which has kind of a, the same meaning, where you say, okay, look, this class is sealed, nobody can extend it except these two or three or whatever number of classes you want to put in there. So it's kind of a very detailed way of sealing your class, but still allowing uh, inheritance to yeah, some of the classes that are in there. But of course, coming from C-sharp and you would just type sealed, you would see a lot of syntax uh, errors and compilation errors because you're not uh, out of the box giving that list of classes that you want to allow to extend that class. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah, and historically, you told me a really interesting fact about Java and just the JVM that like C Sharp and .NET itself is really known for reflection, right? Uh, I know like the most current versions of .NET are kind of trying to wean people off the habit of reflection. But when it comes to Java, uh, when you once you've compiled or like built your artifacts there's like no type metadata makes it into the final artifact the there's like type erasure right Is that uh, yeah so when when you're using uh, generics for example i think it is mm -hmm. uh the type information is is removed um and that's essentially it it feels like a workaround in jvm to make uh, generics work and to be able to make uh, polymorphism work for example there are still ways to bring the type information in get access to fields and everything um but it is something that might bite you if you don't uh, if you don't plan for it mm -hmm. like if you yeah, do I'll... depend on reflection and being able to uh, to reflect on what is going on in the language what is there uh, what is not there um you might be surprised the first time you try that out yeah yeah so, so I... well well, I was going to say Martin's lear learning Java. I don't want to go too deep into this Java versus C sharp. Khalid, what are you uh, learning right now? Well, you know, I've spent the last couple months really working in the JavaScript ecosystem. And um, we're working on something at JetBrains we call the guide. Um, but it runs on a static site generator 11D. Um, but we're using things that maybe 11D doesn't endorse out of the box. Like the JavaScript ecosystem is very flexible. So while 11D doesn't endorse things like TypeScript and JSX, it definitely supports them. So uh, we've been working to kind of use those things like TypeScript typing um, in our static site and also using JSX. So for folks that aren't really sure what JSX is, it's a file format that lets you embed HTML um, syntax into a JavaScript class or a function. So um, if you're familiar with Blazor, it's kind of like Blazor, um, but not really. Like uh, if you've ever returned- It's no, no C-sharp. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you've ever returned a, a HTML string from a from like a method, it's very similar to that. Mm -hmm. So, um, but on top of that too, I've been learning a lot about the the web platform itself and web components. Uh, and if you follow me on Mastodon, you've probably seen a lot of um, you know posts about my adventures in web components. Um, right now I'm looking at a library called Shoelace, which kind of like um, takes a component library built on top of the web component model. So you can reuse those components across any technology stack. So, uh, you know, for example, if you were to write a bunch of components for Blazor, well, they're always stuck to the Blazor uh, model. Whereas with web components, if you built on top of web components, you can use it in your ASP.NET applications, in your Java Spring applications for our our Java uh, person here <laughs> on the podcast. Um, Not then, doing Spring yet. <laughs> and then uh, I think Rocket is the uh, Rust uh, MVC framework. I forget. Um, so, like, I think that's really exciting, uh, especially as teams become more polyglot looking at web components and reusability and kind of leveling up your entire team rather than like the .NET side of your team or the, the Rust side of your team has been really, really, really interesting. So, um, but, you know, Chris, I have a question for you and even for Martin, like, um, you know, I, I would consider us all here somewhat proficient maybe leaning towards expert level when it comes to .NET development. Um, you know, we don't know everything, but if we could probably figure it out, uh, but kind of going into these other ecosystems, uh, what's the learning experience been like in 2023, 2024 for you as you kind of like pick up topics and try to get into those ecosystems? Yeah, it's, it's hard. You know what? You, it's kind of like, riding a bike mm -hmm. if you haven't ridden a bike in a while it might be difficult to get that balance but it's pretty quick but i i don't know i mean you know i've been really putting myself out there i've been listening to lots of uh different podcasts so there's mm -hmm. one called syntax that is really good and half of the they're they're very javascript uh kind of oriented on on that podcast and mm -hmm. most of the stuff in all these libraries and frameworks i have like no idea like they're all these like but like ling cool cool project names that that our industry comes up with and uh mm -hmm. but it's you know it's good because it makes you feel uncomfortable it makes you it makes you realize what people are going through in the in in the .NET community that are new. So mm -hmm. I, I think it's always good to to learn something new, if nothing else, the knowledge, but just remembering what it was like to to be to make mistakes and and not know something and asking for help and being frustrated. So mm -hmm. that's good. I, I yeah. think being frustrated uh, is is a good thing. Martin, what do you think? 
Yeah, for, for me, it's, it's kind of the same, uh, although going from C Sharp to Java, for example, uh, language-wise, they're both C-based languages, so that's uh, relatively easy, give or take a couple of major differences that, that might bite you when you're starting out, but still, in general, they're, they're very, very comparable. Uh, the JVM and the .NET runtime are also very comparable. Um, I've even done some profiling a while back for a Kotlin application. That's the, the previous language I've been, uh, I've been learning. Um, but even there, you see there's a lot of similarities. They're not exactly the same, but they're uh, similar enough to understand and quickly find your way or know what to search for on, uh, on the internets. Um, the one thing that I do find more difficult and, and more interesting as well is all of the different frameworks. So Khalid, you mentioned Spring, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, for folks who don't know, that is a framework in Java that um, comes with a lot of, of base classes of ways of structuring your application with dependency injection, um, with, with MVC style uh, approach where you can have controllers and views and all of that. So like a lot of things are in Spring. Thing is, um, I looked at Spring and I was like, okay, not yet, because Spring has uh, a lot of XML, has a lot of attributes, and has a lot of magic happening. But I can imagine someone coming from Spring to um, ASP.NET Core, for example, would have the same struggle. There's a lot of magic, there's a lot of um, things happening there out of the box that you don't immediately realize what are what is going on. Um, so I would say, in, in a way, they're also very comparable, um, that there is a learning curve. Um, but I guess the moment you dig in, you will find that a lot of things are similar enough to translate the knowledge from one to the other. Um, with one difference that there's usually in every framework and even in .NET, if you do two MVC frameworks, for example, you will find different ideas of how something is implemented and maybe take that from one language or one ecosystem to the other. So for example, um, having done a lot of Kotlin, Kotlin has, um, has lambdas like, uh, like in C Sharp. But if you have a Lambda with just one argument, um, it automatically injects an its variable. So it's called it, its, uh, if you only have one. And that's super useful because you don't have to declare the parameter that you have for the Lambda, you just start writing the code with its. And uh, I find myself in C-sharp writing its as the name of the parameter in all of my Lambdas that I only have just one, uh, one parameter. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you brought up a, a good point and we've talked about this on past episodes that, um, and I'll say, I, I feel that our eco, our ecosystem in the .NET, our community, mm -hmm. isn't very innovative per se. We, we basically have, and most rely on what comes out of Redmond, which isn't a bad thing. There's very smart people at Microsoft and, and they they seem to come up with with um, interesting things, but we we don't really you know it's that you know the uh, the wave sign mm -hmm. we're kind the of the innovation we're, curve we're kind yeah. of laggards yeah. when it comes to to new ideas. We're, I wish .dot net and and I think we we tried to do it ten years ago with alt dot net and and stuff like that and it just didn't seem to to take but um but i i think it is good to uh to stretch and learn and take a look at other communities and other frameworks <laughs> and other languages to to see what you can do better in your 
more most proficient uh skills that you have so 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 um, it it is a it is 2024 right so the the question i have for uh both you folks um is there is there a method or resource today that's kind of helped accelerate your learning and your skill set in a way that maybe say oh my god i'm going to show how old we are but uh 20 years ago just wasn't there and made things harder or vice versa do you think the glut of information available makes things to learn makes things harder to learn today than it was back then i'll let martin start um anecdotally uh from this week writing that blog post on inheritance and polymorphism i've been googling for that as well um and and finding a lot of posts for beginners talking about how this works how to set it up and so on but uh all of them were very um i would i would almost call them shallow that's probably too harsh but um shallow enough and i get it it's, it's beginner type content but still um, me as someone who is proficient in another language coming there um, will not find the information there um, to find more specifics. So usually what you do is you go into the IDE, try things out and see what, what feedback the IDE gives, for example, um, because all of the information out there that is at this level of, I know my stuff in another language, but not in this language is very, very hard to find. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I will agree with Martin. I think, most if you if you're looking up a topic that you have no idea about you're going to find that shallow basically you're going to find in our industry i always find that people like to regurgitate they like to take all the content that microsoft spits out on their mm -hmm. documentation which is awesome documentation and they like to just put it into their blog and then mm -hmm. spit it out so they it's it's almost like so they can have easy they can have a notch and say mm -hmm. oh i wrote a blog post about xyz but really all you did was take the demos from microsoft and put it into your own words you didn't really advance advance it and that that is the kind of uh uh frustrating part i think that's pretty much the free so i always view learning there's different layers there's like that free layer mm -hmm. that you get that you don't have to pay for and you know what they say quality of what you get for free is pretty pretty shallow so there's that paid level, which if I was to really like say rust, if I felt I had to get my skills up in, in rust, uh, I would actually pay money to, to learn. So I mm -hmm. kind of have, I, I bought a couple books. So in some ways I have paid some money and I, and I think that's really what people need to do in my opinion like get something like Pluralsight or or pay for some other service. There's lots of stuff out there. Uh, LinkedIn Learning, they seem to have gone more the professional, non-technical route. Uh, but 
I don't know. I'm I'm kind of frustrated because we have so much information out there. 20 years ago, we didn't have you, uh, YouTube. Mm-hmm. Now we have YouTube, but do you ever find really good, deep information on YouTube? Not really. It, yeah, it depends. It depends. Uh, I, I did want to tack on, on one thing in terms of blogs. So there is a lot of um, shallow. And again, this is between air quotes because they are more shallow than what you would expect. Uh, but there's also a lot of uh, yeah, fantastic blogs out there. I think Khalid's blog is, uh, is one of those where okay. if you have an issue or you're learning something, you will find something on Khalid's blog, for example, about anything.net uh, with an example, with some thoughts, yeah. uh, with some, some interesting links to learn more and, and all of that. So there's definitely those out there as well. And you have the free level and the shallow level, but you also have that level and that level is fantastic to find yeah. your information as yeah, well. You do. And I think the same goes, goes for YouTube as well. Um, you will also find the, those two levels on, on YouTube, I think. But I think it's the 80-20 rule, 80% is going to be very generic shallow like you could probably find that that stuff all over the place that information's at 20 percent that i would love to be able to dig into quickly and and have a way to to really have it curated for my for my um searches and stuff like that so mm -hmm. Maybe AI can can help find some of that stuff, uh, those, those <laughs> gems. Because I will say, I'll, uh, not to not to throw any more uh, uh, spotlight on Cleed, but his blog is good. I I uh, in 2023, I was uh, digging in and trying to uh, uh, add hypermedia to my uh, ASP.NET web APIs and. He had a blog post that uh, that got me going down a great mm -hmm. path, and and uh, I mean, I I took it and and put my own spin on it and did some stuff. But uh, those are the ones that I really love. Is and I I think you have to find those people. Yep, there we go. There's his. Uh, <laughs> it, just just look up his name, and you'll you'll find his blog post. Uh, which are very valuable, but um, I think I'm rambling on, but. Well, you know, it, it is interesting. Like you, you folks bring up like YouTube, um, like blogs have always been there, right? Like since the dawn of time, since the dawn of uh, tech, the monolith of blogs has just kind of stood on the horizon, but you know, it, something has happened uh, clearly like, people are optimizing their sites to appease Google. So when you talk about shallowness, sometimes the intention of a lot of blog posts sometimes can be, okay, get the views, get the clicks. And I think you can also see that in some YouTube content where it's like, it's either clickbaity or it's designed it's like a 11 hour course designed to make sure people continually come back because yeah. no one's going to consume an 11 hour course in one sitting. It's just not, not going to happen. So in a way, like the incentives are a little off today for content creators because 
maybe the first goal isn't to educate people. Maybe the first goal of a lot of newer content is the clicks and the views and the traffic that people are kind of seeking, which is understandable. If that's how you make your living, you have to optimize for that or else no one's going to see your stuff. Um, I do think, you know, in the realm of JavaScript, I have found AI to kind of be lacking for me just because the content and the ecosystem itself moves and evolves so fast that I think even humans have a really hard time keeping up with like the iterations. Yeah, yeah well, I was going to say bet between asking the AI question and getting the answer, there's probably five new frameworks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, what is it? Chat GPT-4 is still based on 2022 yeah. knowledge, which, I mean, if in the JavaScript world, that's like ancient history. Mm -hmm. That's like. Yeah, if you've ever gone into a TS config file and seen all the switches and levers that are in there, it's kind of like, it's wild. It's, so, uh, it's so like Willy Wonka's factory. Here, here's right. another, here's another, this just popped in my head. You know, we have so many ways to, to bring people together. Mm -hmm. I mean, we have Slack and we have Discord and we have, I mean, we have, all these different ways. Do you guys leverage those technologies? Because for me, if if I really have a problem, I come to like one of you guys and mm -hmm. ask you, hey, like I'm having I'm trying to figure this out. Do you guys know how to do this? <coughs> Sorry. Uh but do you guys have have you found that that having a small group of trusted uh community members around you is a good way to learn also uh easy answer yes um so i'm on mastodon and twitter still there's a lot of people out there if i have c sharp questions for example the network there is big enough on, on both of those platforms to always find someone who is doing something else. So if I have a Java question, I can go there. And then there's also the big benefit of working at JetBrains with people who are doing lots of different languages. There's always someone that you can find internally as well uh, to talk with, to brainstorm about ideas, etc. Mm. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll echo what Martin said, like, you know, Twitter, Twitter was kind of, maybe still is, was always kind of focused on maybe like your id, like your ego. So in a way it was like maybe not a good communication platform. Like it was a good promotional platform. But I'm finding for me Mastodon kind of filled the void that Twitter maybe didn't because what I'm finding is I'm sh I'm still sharing my ideas. I'm still sharing screenshots. I'm still sharing like GitHub repositories of code samples and people are, are showing up and having those conversations, those meaningful conversations and saying like, Oh, by the way, did you, do you remember this or, Hey, I'm doing something very similar. Can we talk about this stuff? So like, absolutely. I think, you know, in the age of AI, I still value 
RI, real intelligence over AI, just because there's just so much context, there's so much experience that people have that I'd rather have those human connections and talk through something. Um, you know, it's funny, we were talking about this with Rachel Martin uh, in our internal chat. It's like, maybe today's AI is built in a way to support you and to kind of like make you feel comfortable in a way like it's it's designed to assist you and answer you whereas like where humans excel is they're there to help you but challenge you to like maybe sometimes tell you like hey you're going down the wrong path or like what the heck are you doing yeah i think that's where humans still really excel yeah. and to your point that's great having those uh access points to people so yeah yeah, yeah. and so this week <laughs> One of the the big community events is happening, Codemash, which yep. which I I enjoy being at Codemash. I kind of miss it, but I don't miss like the talks and stuff. I just miss seeing people and talking to people and going, "Hey, what are you doing these days?" and learning some new things. Um, but yeah, I think I I think the best way to learn is. And this is what I always say, be the dumbest person in the room. I love being when I'm when I'm someplace, I love to make sure I'm the dumbest person in the world in the room that I'm in. What room, mm -hmm. quote quote. Yeah. Um, because I'm gonna learn something. I'm I'm always gonna learn something because I'm gonna be asking questions. And I always say never be the smartest person in the room. I mean, those, those are the people, when they are the smartest person, all they're trying to go for is, like you said, the ego and making sure that, that they are viewed as superior. So I don't know, uh, humble yourself and go and do things that, that make you uncomfortable and may make you look dumb. Um, because being dumb isn't, isn't bad. I mean, everyone had to start someplace uh, feeling yeah. like they were dumb at something. So I think uh, I think stay, staying dumb is the problem. <laughs> well, yeah, don't stay dumb. Don't, don't, don't yeah. stay to dumb. to to link this to to one of our previous conversations, I will say that uh, if you are start if you're listening to this podcast or watching the podcast um, and you are learning something. I would definitely highly recommend you to write a blog and keep track of your learnings because there is going to be someone else on the same path as well. And they might benefit from the insights that you're gathering yeah. from whatever you are doing. And you might actually be that 20% of really, really valuable content that yeah. is out there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, uh, we were talking about this before we got on the podcast. I, I'm on a mentor list at the university that I went to. I went to Michigan State University. And in the computer science program, there's a list of mentors that students can reach out to and, and have kind of like a, a Zoom call with. And they, they can have like an hour of your time and they can just ask questions. And, and I find it really interesting that every single person, and I've done five or six of these over the last like 18 months, and they all ask the same questions like what do I do uh, and what should I do to make myself 
more valuable to to mm -hmm. to make sure that when I get out of school, I can get I can get a job. And I always tell them associate with with the people that you want to be associated with that you find valuable. Uh, write about what you're learning. It may not seem it may seem trivial to you, but you just learn something that someone else may want to know, like Martin says. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I said start blog, get out there on LinkedIn and just just find and it's kind of corny, find your tribe. There's find the people that that make you better. Like I love our community because we we try to make people better. Mm -hmm. And give, and I always say, give more than than you take, and give without without expectations, because um, that's the only way that that you're going to help someone, going to make yourself better, is by helping other people. So it, I, I know I'm getting like on on a soapbox, but <laughs> as we wind this this episode yeah. down, it it's all about connecting with with people and sharing information and asking questions and don't feel like you shouldn't ask questions um you may be an expert in some area but you go into a new area and you think oh i can't ask questions i can't like reach out to people because i i'll i'll look ignorant or dumb or and i can't do that and like I'm trying to teach my kids that, and I think it's the the thing that you need to stress. So, Martin, when your son grows up, just stress to him that always ask for help because that's the only way that you're going to get better. And I think that's the basis for this whole talk is ask for help. It does, and asking for help means searching on the internet, looking at YouTube videos, like asking AI for information but also reaching out to people that you trust and that have your best intentions mm -hmm. and, and get the information that they have. It, even if it's wrong for what you're doing, it may glean something that, that you can do better in something else. Yeah. I mean, um, all very well said, Chris, like I agree with everything you said. Um, Definitely. I, I will say from a personal experience, having a blog will give you also intangible skills. Uh, one intangible skill is like you can, I could spend months trying to find a solution, write a blog post and within minutes of publishing it, someone will leave a comment, say this is wrong. <laughs> so, or say I have a better solution. So I think for me personally, a blog has made me think critically about the ideas, but not necessarily take stuff personally. It's like yeah. thicken my skin a little bit. Yeah. Right. Like, yep. so that, yep. that there's that, but also there's that, uh, there's the fact that people can find it, but also, uh, when you write down what you are trying to learn, um, you can actually help clarify your own thought process doing yeah. that. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, it's cool. So I'm, I'm personally looking forward to 2024 and kind of what we're all learning. Uh, we keep talking about Chris teaching us rust in a future episode. So 
Uh, maybe. He's not set stored procedures yet in this episode. I have so We're, we're getting there. To. I'm not going to. But I do have, I did create, uh, before the holidays, I created a uh, talk for for uh, uh, conferences mm-hmm. on kind of Rust for C-sharp developers, Ooh, which cool. is going to make me, and I actually submitted it to Techarama, Hint, hint, Martin. Um, <laughs> but uh, but Dude, you're gonna get him in trouble. Ethics violation. I know, I know. Chris, why are you slipping him that big wad of cash? Stop. Yeah. Stop. <laughs> there you go. The Venmo's coming. No, uh, that Lambar- that Lamborghini that my wife gave me didn't pay for itself. Yeah, mm-hmm. you still need the uh, premium gas, right, for it. So, yeah. But uh, but yeah. no, this was a great talk. And I hope, I hope people got something out of it, and I hope people come back to us and say, eh, "You're full of bull. You're full of like baloney," as as the old people say. Uh, hey, who, who doesn't like baloney? I, I I love pickled baloney. I have I, I have some pickled baloney <laughs> in in the fridge that uh, I forgot to cut up over the holidays for uh like cheese and crackers and i think this weekend we're supposed to get like 14 inches of snow tomorrow through saturday and uh so it might just be hunkered down and and uh and eat all the stuff that's been collecting in the fridge all right so, i'm gonna i'm gonna name this episode when we do the title card we're gonna call it uh lambos and pickle bologna and we'll see We'll see if I like the ult- ultimate clickbait. Yeah, yeah we got we yeah. got clickbait. Yeah, so. yeah. Right. that's never been in the same sentence ever <laughs> before. Lamb Lamborghini and pickle bologna. But yeah. uh, but thanks everyone. Uh, we went over a little bit. We try to stay between thirty and forty minutes. We're over a little bit, but we really appreciate people coming and joining us and listening to us and and please. Tell us if we're wrong or what we got, what we missed. Maybe, maybe there's a new area of learning that that people know that they want to share with us. Uh, we're always looking for new ideas for future episodes. Um, so come back, join our little tribe, and please kind of tell us what what you like and what you don't like, and and. Uh, and all that. So, and I'm sorry for the shiny forehead this morning, uh, but fine. thank you. So, thank you guys. Happy New Year! I hope you both have successful and prosperous uh, uh, 2024s. All right. Thanks, everybody. Likewise. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.